today is Sunday, and we're all here gathered together because I believe that God is going to do something for us before we leave today that will strengthen us, that is going to help us Monday through Saturday till we get back here again on next Sunday. Amen. Anybody? I don't know about you, but I get strength when I'm here, when I worship with you guys together. I garner strength from that, and it helps me through my week. It just does. It just does. So we're in our Bible Doesn't Say That series, and this is a fun and enlightening series because we're going to find out some of the things that the Bible doesn't say and some of the things that the Bible actually does say and how the smallest thing can twist those things. The smallest word can twist what the Word of God says into what the Word of God doesn't say, and we need to make sure that we're living by what the Word of God does say so we can be who we need to be and who God has created us to be. Who had to get out this morning and go open the door to see what season it was? <laughs> Got a shower, walked through the house, opened the front door. I'm like, oh, sweater weather. It's back. Yesterday was hot, sweaty, working outside, and yeah, today is not so much. So... You never know. I'm ready for warm. Anybody ready for warm? Tired of winter. But, okay, Bible doesn't say that. I, I love this because it, it's going to get us. If you, you know, ignorance on fire is a dangerous thing. If you're all excited about what God is doing in your life, but you have no clue what the Word of God says, and you're out there just spouting stuff off, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and, and maybe the Bible doesn't say that. And you're, you're spreading false information. So we need to find out what the, the, the psalmist said, I hide your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. Well, we also need to hide his word in our hearts so we know what the Bible says instead of what the Bible doesn't say. Last week, Pastor Andrew talked about some, some, funny, some funny things. Um, we learned the Bible doesn't say that the Lord helps those who help themselves. Right? We learn that the Bible says that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things that we need will be added to us. It doesn't say when I help myself, when I do my own thing, that it's going to be good for me. It says when I seek God first that I will have everything that I need. We also learn that stupid is as stupid does is from Forrest Gump. <laughs> that was one of the highlights of the week. Stupid is as stupid does. And this, this was my favorite one from last week. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I wish that was in the Bible. Because I am, I am almost legally blind. You know when you go to the eye doctor and it's like your, your vision is 20-20, congratulations. Mine's 2400. So without contacts, I don't see my son running sound back there. I don't see any of that. It's just like a blur way back there. So, you know, that, for my horrible eyesight, God has compensated me with a good smeller. And cleanliness, well, thank you. Cleanliness is next to godliness would really minister to me because smells bother me. When my wife was pregnant back in, uh, Tristan was born in 99, so it's been a minute. But she was pregnant. We lived in a condo, and the lady below us was, was so sweet and so nice. And, man, one day she was cooking beef stroganoff. We walked in the condo, and Twana had to run up three flights of stairs pregnant to puke. Smells. And we had the scent that I loved back in the day. Bath and, Bath and Body Works had cucumber melon. Who remembers that? Come on. That was special. And we had a plug-in or a candle or something right inside the front door. And when she had this hypersensitive smell when she was pregnant. And, man, she's to this day. If you, if you put cucumber melon somewhere in the house, it's got to go. 
because it just makes her sick. So I can't see, so God get me with this smeller, and cleanliness next to godliness is, I wish it was in the Bible. Because, you know, it's just nice if we smell nice. How about money is the root of all evil? It's not in the Bible. Remember I said a minute ago, one little word, one little twist of something that, that, that is in the Bible will just make it seem okay, but it's not really in there. Money is the root of all evil is not in the Bible. You know what is in the Bible? The love of money is the root of all evil. Money isn't evil. How we deal with it is evil. Do you know that money is mentioned more times in the Bible than anything else? And it's not even close. It's not like money is 700 times and salvation is 600. No, it's like two or three times. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous number. But money is mentioned more in the Bible than anything else because the love of money, how we deal with it, how we perceive it, is, is the root. That's what the Bible does say. The love of money is the root of all evil. And why is that? Because that's our treasure, man. Don't mess with my money. I've worked hard for it. It's mine. I've got a plan. Do not touch my money. So that's not in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. That's what is in the Bible. And this next one. I, I once heard that someone got in a very heated argument over this one. And it's really funny. Who's heard that you give a man a fish and he's going to eat for a day? You teach a man to fish and he'll always have food. Who's heard that? I once heard that someone got in an argument declaring that that was in the Bible. What I say a minute ago about ignorance on fire. It can be dangerous. That is not anywhere in the Word of God. It's just not there. So, again, I, I said this a minute ago, but Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is why... That we need to know what is in the Word of God, what's not in the Word of God. And when someone comes to us, I was talking to Kyle a few weeks ago, and he's like, you have to, to really identify what somebody's motives are. Sometimes somebody will come to you with a sincere question asking you, what, what does this mean? What is this? What's going on here? And you can answer them because you know what's in the Word of God. But you have other people that come to you and they say, and, and they're asking you questions just to stump you. Just to see if you know what you're talking about. Just to see if they can prove the Bible wrong. What do you think happened to Jesus when, when, when they, they brought the woman that was caught in, in adultery? Like they drug her out of the bed and brought her to Jesus and said, This woman, we caught her. They were just trying to stump him. Their motives were not pure when they, when they did this. And what did he do? He just got down and started writing in the sand. He's like, Who, whoever doesn't have sin, go ahead. You can throw the first stone. Kill her. And they all dispersed. And he looked at her and said, woman, where are your accusers? And they're gone. And he said, you're cool. He didn't say, go continue living your life. He said, go and sin no more. So Jesus wasn't condoning her behavior. He didn't say, okay, keep doing what you're doing. He said, I'm not going to condemn you. Now go stop what you were doing. Let's just put it in plain English. He said, go stop what you're doing. Don't continue living the lifestyle that you're living right now. I've hid your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. And today we're going to debunk this gem. <laughs> Obedience leads to financial blessings. Obedience leads to financial 
blessings. We're going to cover two areas in this. Number one are events in our life, and number two is our checkbook. We're going to talk about that today. Um, let's talk about the events in our lives. Some groups, some people teach that if you are obedient to the word of God, that your life is going to be perfect, that you're going to have all the money you need, that, you, that if you give $5, you're going to get 5000 back. And that if you, if you follow the rules, you're going to live a blessed life and, and you're, you're not going to have any problems. It's called prosperity doctrine and it's a lie. Is that okay? Let's just start by establishing that fact right now. That is not true. Let's listen to this letter from Paul. In Philippians chapter 4, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that, you, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned... To be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of becoming content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Amen. Now you're talking about the most prolific preacher in history. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he's like, I know what it's like to have nothing. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have found that no matter where I am, I can be content because he's taught me that. And I can do all things, King James says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, that's a mouthful. So we're going to refer to this throughout today. So first, listen to his tone. i got to give you a disclaimer. Last week, we got out of church early. Who remembers? Short-term memory, right? This may take a minute. Hope you enjoyed last Sunday. <laughs> You're like, see ya. First, listen to his tone. It isn't one of frustration or anger. He's not complaining because he had times where he didn't have anything. He's not saying this was really bad, but I got through it. He said, I've learned to be content. I've learned that there are times I'm going to have a lot. There are times I'm not going to have much, but I've learned to be content because I know through Christ I can do anything. The Bible says that nothing will be impossible with him. The Bible does say that, that nothing shall be impossible to us if we have faith. He said, I've had much, I've had little, I've been full, I've been hungry. These are all polar opposites. Who's experienced all those kinds of things? Most of us have and most of us will again. There will be times where everything is great for a minute and there are going to be times where it feels like everything's turned upside down and you can't find the door. And you can't get away. What did Job say? God, I, I don't know what's going on. I've looked for you. I've looked in front of me. I look behind me, on my left, on my right. I just can't find you anywhere. There may be a moment in your life, in, in, in the time that you're on this earth, where you can't find God in your situation. But if we live for God, if we have a relationship with him, if his spirit is living inside of us, shouldn't our life be blessed? Shouldn't it be charmed? Shouldn't it be semi-charmed? Something? Well, you're going to have good times. And you're going to have bad times. Because this is life and we're all living it together. Amen. You're going to experience life. You're going to experience death. You're going to experience sickness. You're going to experience times where you have enough money to buy a Big Mac. And there are going to be times where you just got to try to get a, kitty me a kid's meal. Let's just break it down. When we were in college... Chili's was up-and-coming restaurant, and, and we were broke college students, and we would go to Chili's and spit, and we'd split kidney crispers. And free chips and salsa. Come on. And water with lemon. So you had a flavored drink, you had unlimited chips and salsa, and then you got your protein with, with chicken and french fries with honey mustard. 
And man, that was a meal for like six bucks. It's not Ruth's Chris, but it's, it's chili sometimes can taste almost as good if you're hungry. That's what poor college kids do. Who knows? You get through that stuff and you get through it because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you. God taught Paul how to be content and how to have joy no matter what his circumstance. This is no prosperity doctrine that says everything is going to be great in tulips and roses and peaches and cream. This is in your, what did Jesus say? We quote it all the time. In this life you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus himself said. And if Jesus came to this earth and had all kinds of difficulty, who am I? But Paul had this. He's like, I'm going to be content and I'm going to have joy. Understand that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when, when, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. And joy is one of those attributes. Joy is not happiness. Does that make sense? Me being happy is not having joy because happy is a fleeting emotion. I'm happy because I'm, I get to eat a good meal or I'm happy because I'm warm when it's cold or I'm happy when I'm cool when it's hot. We're never happy, really. It's, uh, it's either too hot, too cold. It's, you know, something. But happiness is something I feel because of my circumstance. Happiness is something I experience because something goes my way. Joy is something I feel because it's who I am. Joy is something I feel because God's spirit is living inside of me. It's not happiness because I, I, my, my car looks good today or, or my clothes are fitting a little bit looser today. It's not any of that stuff. Although I can feel happiness over that. <laughs> happiness is, is a, a moment. Joy is my state of being. And there's a, a big difference in, in those two things. It doesn't mean that I won't feel frustration, that I won't feel anger, that I won't feel impatience. It doesn't mean that the emotions that God created me with that I won't feel because I will feel every emotion that God gave me. You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel frustration. You're going to feel disappointment. And, but you're also going to feel elation and happiness and, and joy and all those things. You're going to experience everything because Jesus felt those things. Jesus flipped over a table at church. Don't do that. <laughs> Just because Jesus did it doesn't mean you can go flip over chairs and stuff. No, 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 no. But Jesus was angry. He was happy. He was sad. The Bible says he was sad when Lazarus died. And what they do, you go, woke him up. I don't want to be sad anymore. <laughs> so we're going to feel these emotions. Don't think that you won't feel those emotions. But when I feel the negative emotions that life is going to bring me, when I experience all the feelings that, that life brings my way, the Spirit of God, which is active in me, acts as my comfort. Because joy overrides happiness. Joy overrides sorrow. Joy overrides all those things. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit reminds me that I am God's child my steps are ordered and i tell tristan this all the time that he's got me god's got me it helps calm me down and lets me know that whatever situation that i find myself in whatever i'm going through that he has the solution before i ever saw the problem take comfort in that the bible says that he is a strong tower that we run to and that we're safe i'm telling you what the bible does say it doesn't say we're never gonna have any problems that when i do have a problem i can run to him and i'm safe Amen. that the holy spirit is my comforter not just when somebody dies but when life hits me in the face and knocks me out of my can the holy spirit is my comforter consider this we would never need healing 
if we never got sick? Who's got a story of healing in here? Lots of us do. You would never have that story. You would never have that testimony had you not been sick. Was being sick fun? No. Who gets grouchy when they're sick? Best thing I can do is drink half a bottle of night and go to sleep for two days and I'm well when I wake up. We would never need a miracle. We would never need healing if we weren't sick. We would never need provision from God if we could make all the money we needed to. We would never need provision if we could make it happen by ourselves. We would never need comfort from God if we were never put in a trying situation. So, living for God. If I'm obedient to the word of God, does that mean my life is going to be charmed? No. Is it going to be blessed? Yes. Difference in charmed and blessed. A big difference in charmed and blessed. Some of y'all are like, I, okay, I don't, I, don't, I don't have to have a healing. I don't have to have provisions. I don't have to have peace or comfort. I just don't want the stuff that comes with that. You don't want the sick because <laughs> you see where I'm going? You're like, okay, just exempt me from all that stuff. Just let me live my life and, and be blessed. It's easy for me sometimes to celebrate somebody else's miracle. But when I'm going through it, it's difficult. When somebody else gets a miracle, I'm like, yay, God, you go, God, good job. Glad you got your miracle. I don't want to need a miracle. <laughs> Does that make sense? I don't want to need a miracle. I just want to be obedient to the word of God and have everything fall into place and never face adversity, never have a trial, never have a sickness, never have anybody die on me, never, never have anyone get a, a, a disease that can't be cured. I don't want that stuff. I just want to be obedient. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. We're all in this together. Q High School Musical. God's strength is made perfect, not in our glorious, perfect, faith-filled life. God's strength is made perfect when I can't see which way is up. God's strength is made perfect when I don't have a solution, when I can't find what, what's going on, I can't find what's causing. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, and our weakness must be present for his strength to be displayed. So life will not be perfect, and we're going to face adversity. There's a Chinese proverb that said there's a farmer whose horse ran away. That evening, the neighbors gathered to commiserate with him since his, this was such bad luck. He said, maybe. The next day, the horse returned and brought with it six wild horses. And the neighbors came exclaiming at his good fortune. He said, maybe. The following day, his son tried to saddle and ride one of the wild horses, was thrown and broke his leg. Again, the neighbors came to offer their sympathy for the misfortune. He said, maybe. The day after that, conscription officers came to the village to seize young men for the army. But because of the broken leg, the farmer's son was rejected. When the neighbors came to say how fortunate everything had turned out, he said, maybe. Man, a few words. Maybe. What, what, is, what is the deal? He, he, he understood that there, there are going to be times where things go wrong. And there are going to be times where things go right. But at the end of the day, it's not good fortune, it's bad fortune, it's life. What I can promise you is this, is that if you are obedient to the word of God, you're still going to face problems, you're going to hit speed bumps. Sometimes your life may feel turned upside down, but I promise you that God's spirit will comfort you and you will have assurance that he will bring you through it. Because again, like I said earlier, 
He had a solution before you saw the problem. He had a solution before you saw the problem. Is your life charmed? No, it's blessed. And you have peace through the storm. You have peace through things that don't make any sense to you. You have peace for things you don't understand. And maybe you did nothing to get where you are. Maybe you did. But maybe you didn't. And if you didn't, he's going to give you peace to get through it. And if you did, he'll show you what to correct to get out of it. How's that? I'll wrap that up in a nice little bow for you. Maybe. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. My steps are ordered. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work. We love this verse. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. See, we like to quote the first part. All things work together for my good. There's a song. All things are working for my good. We sing about it. We embrace that. I don't know what's going on, but all things are working together. How about the second part? To the ones who are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose, his purpose. Not my will, but thine be done. The scripture doesn't say that everything happen, that happens will be good. I embrace the whole scripture. I believe that everything that happens to us is for good. It doesn't say that everything that happens to me will be good. It said everything that happens will work together for good. Well, what if you're in a situation where you just can't see any way possible how any good can come out of this? Well, that's where we trust God. Because going back to Psalm 37, 23, our steps are ordered. They're ordered. He has a plan. What does Jeremiah 29 say? I, I know the, the, the plans that I have for you, thoughts to, to give you peace and to prosper you and to give you an expected end. He has our life planned and we walk the steps when we're following him. We can go and zigzag and do our own things. But he has a plan for our life that he wants us to follow. That's just truth. The Bible does say that. It doesn't say that everything that happens to me will be good. It works together for good. What I see right now may not be great. I may not like it. But big picture good. Everybody say big. Big picture Maybe not small picture, maybe not right this second, maybe not in an hour from now, maybe not in two days or two weeks from now, but big picture good will come from what I'm going through right now. Adversity problems, they don't always mean that I've done something wrong, but they could mean I've done something wrong. When, when Job had lost everything he had, his barns, his animals, his kids even, it was him and his wife, that's all that was left, and he was rich. And his friends came to him and said, Job, God is really, surely angry with you. What did you do? And Job knew in his heart that he hadn't sinned. And we know from having the, the higher up view of the story that God had, had released his protection on Job's life to let Satan try him. And, and when, when that happened, man, Satan unleashed hell in Job's life. But the Bible said that through all that, through losing his barns and his crops and his animals and his kids, that Job never foolishly charged God. He said, God, I can't find you in this. I can't see you in this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where the meaning is in all this stuff. I can't, I can't make sense of this. That's what he said to God, but he didn't say, God, this is stupid. God, I can't believe you're treating me like this. That's what that means. He didn't accuse God of, of being unfair. He didn't accuse God of being unjust. He, you know what he said? He said, when I've come through this, I will be as gold. He said, naked I came into this world, and naked I'm going out. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said after losing all that stuff. And the Bible said after he came through that, sure enough, what he said came to pass, and he had twice as much as he had before. You will face adversity. Your life is not going to be charmed, but you will have peace. You'll, you'll have solution when you need it. Isn't that fantastic that, that God, through all of our problems, through all of our pain, will give us solution? He doesn't promise us a perfect life, but he promises us peace and comfort and solution. And for that, I'm thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now let's talk about money for a minute. The same theory that says that you can have a charmed life if you're obedient to the word of God. That same theory, that same school of thought, that same prosperity mess that's going around. That says, whenever I put any money in, the popular term is, when you sow a seed. Who's heard it? Yeah, you know. Chuckle. When you sow a seed, when I give $1, I'm getting back five. When you, five, when you sow five, you're going to get back 25. When you give 100, you're going to get back 1,000. You give 1,000, you get back five. Whatever it is, they, they say that when, whenever you sow a seed, that you're going to get back way more than you give. Is God a God of miracles? Absolutely is. Can he do that? Yes, he can. Has he done it? Yes, he has. But does the Bible say that? No. Sorry. Wah, 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 wah. Right? Sorry. It doesn't work that way. It's not in the Bible. Some people say if you sow the smallest of financial seeds, no matter what it is, I'm going to reap a bountiful harvest. Wrong. Let's read 2 Corinthians. Paul again. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Why do you think every time we do any kind of offering, we have a generous thing up there? Because generosity spawns generosity. When you sow generously, you reap generously. That's, that the Bible does say that. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Nobody's talking you into that. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times. There's two absolutes there that are very comforting. In all things, everybody say all things. At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, y'all know how I am. We don't fundraise. We don't. We very rarely, I'm talking once every, I don't know, I can't say how long, we'll ask for any kind of special anything. Because that has been so manipulated and so messed with and sowing seed and reaping and harvest and all that mess and all that junk. I'm not calling the word of God junk. Don't twist my words. What men have done to that is junk. It's a mess. And they're out there telling people, you send in $5 and God's going to give you 100 They're lying. It doesn't work that way. I'm hopefully getting ready to plant a garden with Sid's help very soon. He's... he's very graciously says he's going to help me because I don't, he's a grower and I'm not really one. So the deal is, if I plant one cucumber seed, how many plants am I going to get? If I plant one tomato plant, how many plants am I going to get? hope I get one. The same thing applies to the word of God and how, how God deals with our finances. When we sow sparingly, guess what we're going to get back? Sparingly means little. When I sow a little bit, I'm going to get a little bit back. When I sow a lot, guess what I'm going to get back? A lot. 
Some of you have recently started tithing, and you're telling me stories. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But I'm, I'm hearing that, that, that things are, are looking up, and, and blessings are coming, and extra work's coming, and money's coming, and all this kind of stuff. That's, that's how that works. We're, we're getting there in a minute. So let's just say, and getting right off the bat, a little in gets a little out. A lot in gets a lot out. When you give, give with excitement. There's a video on YouTube that I wish I had, I wish I had thought of this earlier because I just thought of it right now. And there's this little, this little dude, and he, it's offering time, and, and everybody's, you know, I'm not going to try to dance. I just, I just make a fool of myself. But everybody's kind of doing this little trot, coming to give offering. And this little dude, man, is in a suit. And he gets up here, and he's like doing the worm and stuff. Like, he is all over the place. He's twisting. He's kicking his legs up. He is, he's a cheerful giver. I'm not, we're not going to start a conga line when it's offering time. It's not going to happen. That's, that's a little bit extreme. But what you have to understand is the principle behind that God loves a cheerful giver. And instead of when, it, when Pastor Philip or Pastor Andrew or myself come up here and say it's, it's time for us to be generous and to give back because God's given to us. And that's how we celebrate his goodness and we're faithful and we are obedient as to what the scripture says. When we say all that, it's not a time to say, oh God, I have to give money. Because what if God says, oh God, I've got to bless them. Am I right? Am I right? Oh, that kicks us right in the gut, doesn't it? How we present ourselves to God, how we come to Him, what you put in, you get out. And if I'm coming to God on a Sunday morning, putting whatever it is you put in up here, if I'm coming to Him, begrudgingly or resentfully, or I can't believe I have to do this. You don't want God when you need him on Tuesday. To say, I can't believe I have to do this. Because we're going to read a scripture in a minute where he has to put up. When it comes to this, this is the only place in scripture where he says, test me and see if I won't do it. So if we are faithful, he has to be faithful as well. But if we come to him with a spirit that is resentful and begrudging, you don't want God to look, to look at you and say, I have to do this. So let's see. Let's just do this. <laughs> I got to move on. It's, mm. <laughs> getting in our wheelhouse right now. I'm getting in our wheelhouse right now. And that's good. Scripture does say, here's what the Bible does say. The Bible does say that when we tithe, everybody say tithe. Yeah, we're going to talk about this. God does two things. He does two things. He opens the windows of heaven and blesses us. That's the first thing he does, and that's a good thing. And he rebukes the devourer from our lives. Okay, you're like, why? What's that matter? We're going to get there, and i got to hurry. Oh, my goodness. I told you. Uh, here's the proof. <laughs> Malachi 3, 8 to 10 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Let's stop right there a minute. <laughs> Who in their right mind, with any kind of sane, linear thinking, logic, anything, would want to be in that first question? <laughs> Will a mere mortal rob God? This is God talking. Yet you rob me. 
But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. I can't, I'm not making this up, y'all. Don't get mad at me. Or you can get mad at me, I don't care. You are... <laughs> Let's get in the meat of this. In verse 9, it says, you are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole... Everybody say whole. Everybody say whole. Whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Here it is. I told you. Test me. God is saying, test me. Nowhere else in Scripture does this happen. Nowhere. In the whole Bible. I challenge you to read the whole Bible. And tell me if you can find it. Test me and see. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Ah! You see, that's, that's where I want to live. I want to live in the last verse of that scripture. Who wants to live there? Come on, who really wants to live where God puts us enough blessing in our life that we don't have enough? See, whatever preacher, pastor, Bible study teacher, whatever individual says these kinds of things that you can be blessed without doing this, they're lying to you. And they are so far out of the word of God that they don't even know where the word of God is. If I want to live in that last portion of that scripture, I've got to back up to verse 8, 9, and 10, or 8 and 9, and I have to do what it takes to get. Y'all still love me? And if I'm not doing that, I have no right or reason to expect a blessing from God. Because the very first part of that says you're cursed. Now, verse 11 says, see, that's the, I want to live in that where, where there's not enough room to contain the blessing, man. I just, that's awesome. That's fantastic. And yes, and we're, we're, we're going to get there. Who wants to get there? Who, after I said that, who still wants to get there? Not as many hands this time. Not as many hands this time because you know. I'm just going to be blatantly raw, obvious, and honest right now. We want the blessing, but we don't want the work that goes into it. Not everybody. I'm saying some of us. I'm, I, love every, I love your guts. I want to see everyone in this room blessed supernaturally. But the only way that happens is through this. And if we don't do it, we, we, we don't have the right to pray for blessing in our life. Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. We don't grow crops. Make the leap with me. I'm going to rebuke the devourer from... We're going, to get, we're going to get there again in a minute. So if you're new to this concept, you may be new, and this may be strong for you. I don't know. But tithe is defined as a tenth. There's a reason why Scripture said bring the whole tithe. Because a tithe is considered, it's defined as a tenth. In our circumstance, it's not a tenth of our tomatoes, a tenth of our cucumbers, or a tenth of our grain, or our goats, or sheep, or something like that. It is a tenth of what we make. And we don't like that sometimes because where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And, and most of the time, our heart is in our checking account. 
because our checking account allows us to drive the car we want to drive, to have the house we want to have, and have the, car, the clothes we want to wear. So don't mess with my money. Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Amen. And I've got to hurry. And I wish I had more time to do this, but we're going to get there even in a couple months. A tithe is a tenth. And Leviticus 27.30 says a tithe belongs to this is where Malachi picks up and says, you're robbing me because it belongs to me. But Pastor Scott, that's in the Old Testament. So is don't murder. We're okay with that one. Right? Thou shalt not kill. We're okay with that one. We're okay with that from the Ten Commandments? Moses, way back, Old Testament. We're okay with following don't kill. But when suddenly when it talks about our treasure, because that's where our heart is, well, that's Old Testament. We've been released from that. We've been, we've been released from the law. <laughs> well, the law was thou shalt not kill. How, how, how does that work? How does that compute? So a tithe from everything belongs to the Lord. A tithe, so let's break Again, we're not farmers. We're not crop raisers. We're not, we don't have cows and all those things. A tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. A tenth of our income. Everybody say a tenth. This, this may be new for you, but this is what the Bible does say. The tenth of our income. The first tenth. Everybody say first. first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it's the first tenth, not the second, third, or fourth, or if there's any left over. It's the first Tenth, a tenth belongs to God. Verse 8 speaks of robbing God and the curse that follows, while verse 10 speaks of the blessing that, that pours out in our life if we tithe. I've had some people tell me they couldn't afford to tithe. I can't afford not to. There's a, uh, there's a, a quote I'm getting reread in a second, but I can't afford not to. They, uh, if you know Dave Ramsey, um, there's a quote that he has on his website that says, When you realize that a blessed 90% is more fruitful, more productive, and goes farther than a cursed 100%, you're going to see blessing in your life. And he also says, and this is strong, that if you quit, that if, and, and I'm not. I'm not saying anything negative or derogatory about anything, he said, but he says, if you can't afford to live on 90% of what you make, you have bigger problems than that anyway. So this isn't give to get. This isn't I'm going to put in one and get five. This isn't about me coming to God so he blessed. So this isn't about me being obedient and coming to church just so he gives me what I want. See, we have the, the, the tendency to do, to do that as well. Man, we'll lay out a church for a long time and, and, and just do our own thing. It's summertime or, or whatever, or it's, you know, there's, a, there's this or there's that or whatever it is, whatever reason that we come up with or whatever excuse. And we just, we're not here for two, three, four, five, six, eight weeks, ten weeks, three months. And, man, something, something, something happens in our life. Where do we find ourselves? In this room. This isn't about me being obedient so God gives me stuff. It's not about me being obedient so I have a charmed life. This is about principle-based living so I can experience the blessings that Scripture describes to me. 
If my second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It, doesn't geometry have the, the theorems and stuff, the if and then? I'm old, so I've forgotten a lot of that stuff. If this happens, then this happens. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will, heal, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. All the good things that God brings us completely dependent upon us taking care of the if before he can do the then. Before I can have a financial curse removed from my life, I've got to do what the Bible says to get the blessing in the bottom of the scripture. Before I can have the windows of heaven open and pour out a blessing on me that I can't have room enough to contain, and before I can have the, the devour rebuke from my life, I've got to do what God commanded me to do. And he said, test me and see if I won't do it. There are so many stories of people even in this room who, have, who didn't know if they could or had never heard this or had just stopped doing it. And they started doing it and, and God opened the windows of heaven and poured blessings on them. And they didn't always make sense, but it always showed up on time. It always showed up on time. Two promises from tithing. Blessings we don't have room for and God's going to rebuke the devourer from our life. He does give monetary gifts. But monetary gifts were not mentioned in those scriptures. He didn't say if you tithe, your checking account's going to be fat. He didn't say if you tithe, you're going to get a bigger bonus than you've ever had before in your life. He didn't say if you tithe, you're going to get the biggest promotion you've ever had in your life or close more deals than you ever have in your life or drive the nicest car that you've ever had before. He said, I will open the windows of heaven and pour blessings on you that you don't have room to store, and I will rebuke the devourer from your life. Neither one of them are monetary. But God does bless monetarily. He does do it. But consider this. God's blessings aren't always financial. A good marriage is a blessing. When you've seen some bad ones, a good marriage is a blessing. A caring spouse that loves you is a blessing. Good friends that look after you and that sharpen you are a blessing. Well-behaved kids are a blessing. <laughs> and a lot of work. Again, if you don't put in the work, your kid's going to be a brat. And it's your fault as the parent. Oh, that's tough. But good kids are a blessing to you and everybody around you. Free families are a blessing. What do I mean by free families? Free from vices, addictions, animosity, resentment, and bitterness, anger, and hate, and all of those things. You cannot put a stinking price tag on that stuff. You can say that you want money all you want, but if you live in a home where it's your refuge from the world and it's full of peace, that is a blessing that you cannot pay for. Employment is a blessing. It may, it may not be the job you want right now. It may not make you the money that you want to make right now. But if you have a job, that's a blessing. A car that gets me around is a blessing. Amen. A car that gets me around is a blessing. It may not be the most expensive one or the fastest one. But a car that gets me there is a blessing. If you have the nicest and fastest one, that's a bigger blessing. Enjoy it. Don't feel guilty about it. Food to eat is a blessing. We, we, in America, we're so blessed to be able to eat whatever we want, whenever we want it. 
And there are still parts of the world where they, where they got up today not knowing if they get to eat. Having food to eat is a blessing. You see where I'm going. There are other ways to bless us besides making our checking account fat. Do we want fat checking account? Absolutely we do. Do we want fat retirement accounts? Yes, we do. But it requires planning and it requires work. And what we put in, we get out. Rebuking the, the devourer is another benefit. What does that even mean? I'm, and I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. The Bible says Satan goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what Scripture says. And Scripture says that when we tithe, the tenth, the first tenth. And I'm, in the last few weeks, my wife and I started reading a book and I watched a bunch of videos. And I've learned, I'm, I'm getting to be 46 years old and I've been going to church since I was about a week old. And I have learned things about tithing in the last few weeks that I didn't know. So don't feel bad if you don't know. Don't feel bad if you didn't know the importance. And we're going to teach you this stuff. Because here's the deal. I want you all to be blessed. Right. And if, if, if I get revelation, if I get a better way or a more succinct way or something like that and to do things to, to get us where God wants us to be, and if I don't teach you that, that's on me. And God holds me responsible for that. So we're going to get there, and we're going to teach it, and we're going we're gonna to get there together, and we're going to see God open the windows of heaven and pour blessing out. Let's talk about that devourer for a minute. And it's the last thing I'm talking about. I'm going to let you go. He rebukes the devourer. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. God rebukes him from our life. Does that mean we're going to be charmed again? No, it doesn't. But it means the things that he wants to do to us aren't going to get to be done. That's huge. That's protection. Scripture talks about a hedge of protection. My dad, my dad used to always say, I pray that hedge. And I got this, this image of this box hedge around me all the time that I'm, of angels where I'm going. Just my crazy mind. But really, literally, that's, that's kind of what that is, where God puts angels around us to protect us, and he rebukes the devourer from our life and, and from our family because it's from our house. So parents, if you want your kids protected, if you want blessings in your life, this is like one of the first things you need to do to get it. It's priceless. This may be new, but this is where it's at. It's not giving to get. It's not prosperity doctrine. It's living by principles set forth by God himself.